In this episode of Insert Sound, welcome, by the way, we are going to listen to every aspect of an epic Viking battle, or actually an ambush, except the actual fighting. In late April, I spent a few days in the south of Iceland, a bit inland, just southeast of the volcano Hekla. They were quiet and calm days, taking walks through the lava fields to an abandoned farm at the foot of a mountain, biking towards the highlands, and an evening walk to the famous river Estri Ranko. The river's name conjures up images of big salmon reeled in as a good fishing river, and judging by the prices, there's a period in August that's jackpot territory if you've got a thousand bucks to spend a day. Out of the 60 kilometers from its first trickle to its flowing out to sea, there are 22 kilometers that are fishable, but only 18 fishing rods are allowed each day. These numbers combined result in 4,654 salmons reeled in a year on average. My evening stroll down to this iconic Icelandic river, originating by the Tindfjallajökull glacier, overlooked the fishing aspect as my attention was wholly taken by a giant boulder lodged 10 meters from the river's edge. This rock, no more than a human's height, barely fitting more than six grown men on top of it, was the site of an iconic battle by the edge of the river Eysteri nearly a thousand years ago. Insert sound. Gunnar Haumundarsson fought off his ambushers along with his brothers after being ambushed while on horseback, the only mode of transport in Iceland for a thousand years. Now, Gunnar's role in the Icelandic sagas, but those are the dozens of different books by various but often unknown authors about the trials and tribulations of the earliest generations of Icelanders, is massive. Gunnar, along with his best friend Njáll, make up the core of the most well-known saga, Brennu Njáls saga, so named after the actual burning of Njáll's home, only a small part of the multiple acts of violence and killings in the book all Icelandic teenagers must read in school. Large part of that violence stemmed from the bitter feud their wives got into early in the book, with scores of revenge killings and murders by their slaves. But by the edge of the river, Gunnar fought heroically, as all of the saga heroes, part of a national obsession with hailing violence and fits of anger, translating it to honor. On the calm April evening, I walked up to this unassuming rock with a little metal plaque, remembering the valiant defense. It felt strange having the calm sounds of the river and the unique silence that somehow seemed to flow down from the uninhabited highlands, the road I walked being among the most famous highland paths, closed eight to ten months a year. Though the settlement period of Iceland in the 9th century and the next 300 years, or 900 if you will, included a quieter soundscape than post-industrialization, there was the sound of extreme and common violence. The sagas tell of verbal abuse, met with insults, met with beatings, but most of all, met with killings, resulting in a loop of revenge killings, finally ending in the closest thing Iceland has come to a civil war in the 13th century, ending with a takeover by the king of Norway. 
End of heroic times started a long decay into Iceland's role as Europe's poorest country. A bunch of lice-ridden poor farmers, though mostly poor manual laborers. But on that day, when Gunnar was ambushed and ended up on top of the small rock, surrounded, like some ludicrous scene from Monty Python, the sounds of screams and swords clamoring would have overpowered the sound of the river. The almost worshipped ability to go into battle and fight with no fear of death came from the premise of the heathen religion, which Icelanders practiced until Christianity infiltrated the country in the 10th and 11th century. Death meant eternal paradise in Valhalla, fighting from morning to late afternoon, when a drunken feast, accompanied by sexy ladies uh, handing out beer, would commence. But perhaps the most deadly sound on that day could have come from an almost silent weapon, inaudible over the flow of the river, until it manifested in a gurgling growl or painful cry when an arrow hit its victim. Close by, a mysterious ring of bone was found in a Viking grave, Kuml, in the late 18th century. Its origin was clear. Viking era, perhaps bought these victims from a battle. But what the ring was became the topic of debates ensnaring the delicate question of whether the Icelandic sagas themselves were true or pure fiction. A nation that cherishes heritage, lineage, and all things genealogical, the thought of its major identity as heroic Vikings sailing abroad to plunder, living life free from government, lacking the substance found in the sagas, was to many unthinkable. A scholarly debate that did not reach that deep into the classroom of Icelandic teenagers, at least in my youth, but a debate nonetheless. But the bone ring presented the possible clue or possible proof that the sagas were true. Gunnar was, actually, a near godlike warrior, showing feats of daring and skill beyond any other man living. But his not-so-secret weapon was a bow of undocumented type. Theories sprouted from the finding of the bone ring, though not for the first time, including its origins being from the Middle East or Mongolia, Turkey. Anyway, far east. The ring was in that case similar to rings used for such bows, as the string was so tight it was impossible to use without one, but the full force beyond anything ever seen before. Stories tell of Turkish archers shooting an arrow distances beyond belief. The Sultan of Turkey shot an arrow 888 meters in 1798, and in 1794, Mahmoud Efendi, the secretary to the Turkish ambassador in London, shot an arrow 482 yards in a field behind Bedford Square. But this was Iceland, thousands of kilometers from the bow's origin, a fact bridged by the actual travels of Icelandic Vikings to Turkey and beyond, some even serving as bodyguards to Byzantine emperors, part of an elite unit called the Varangian Guard. Somehow, the unique bow ended up in the hands of Gunnar Haumundarsson, who stood on that rock, which I climbed onto, fought back, and lived. The bow might have saved his life many times, if true, but in the end, it was his wife's long-held anger towards him that symbolically took his life. In a final ambush, his bowstring breaks. In the chaos and noise, he turns to his wife, Hallgerður Höskuldsdóttir, 
renowned for her fierce temper and death of earlier husbands, as well as her long black hair, and asks her for a lock of it. She asks if he's in any rush. He answers, my life depends on it. She replies, then I shall now repay you that time when you hit me across the face. Without his bow, he fought off his attackers until his stamina faded and was stabbed a dozen times till he was dead. But stories, whether heroic or not, live as long as they are read, and the sagas have, like the river Estre Rangal, flowed without interruption. Since the writing of the sagas in the 13th and 14th century, authors mostly unknown. That's it for this episode of Insert Sound. I am your host, Svavarion Tason, taking aim at the next episode of Insert Sound, which I hope will be on target. Till then, bye-bye.